Hey folks, this is Cor Blund from the Canadian Rocky Mountains, and you're listening to The Northern Report with Sean Burns. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to The Northern Report. I'm your host, Sean Burns, coming right at you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, on this inaugural installment of the podcast. Maybe the Northern Report, my monthly column and contribution in the Hockey Talk Times, has brought you here. Maybe you tune into Boots and Saddle on CKUW with me every Tuesday. Perhaps you're a fan of my music or live shows. Of course, there's a strong possibility that you don't know me at all. But whatever has these proverbial doors swinging open and bringing you along, I'll thank you for coming to the party today. Here on the Northern Report podcast, I'm going to aim to shine a light on emerging and existing Canadian talent, as well as some of the legends still with us today. My guest on today's show is Cor Blund, the winner of Roots and Traditional Album of the Year at the 2006 Juno Awards. Other hardware include 11 Canadian Country Music Awards, 7 Western Canadian Music Awards, among a long and impressive list of accolades. Corb has released 10 full-length albums and one EP since his debut, Modern Pain, in 1995. His most recent release, Agricultural Tragic, came out in June of 2020 on the New West Records label. Corb has always been kind to me and generous with his time. In recent years, I've interviewed him on Boots and Saddle and opened some shows for him and his great band, The Hurt Now Burtons. We caught up on the phone to talk about what's been going on with him of late and to dig into all things agricultural tragic. Thanks for tuning in today, friends, and I hope you'll enjoy my chat with Cor Blund. Hey, man. A, uh, a uh, elderly lady answered the phone on the last call I made, and I was quite, <laughs> I was quite confused. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I got a digit wrong there. No problem. You, st- you still got the Edmonton number. Yeah, yeah, never really got around to changing it. I probably should. Too many people have it. <laughs> where, uh, where are you at, at today? You, you in the garage? You in Lethbridge? Yeah, I'm in Lethbridge. Yep. What's uh, what's been yep. happening with you lately? Uh, working on some new tunes and working on some cover tunes and working on some Christmas tunes and taking guitar lessons and voice lessons and saving the Rocky Mountains from the coal mines. <laughs> yeah, man, you've got quite a lot on the go these days, and it uh, it must be... And, and fucking house rentals on top of it. <laughs> so there's nothing short, nothing, you know, you're, you're staying busy despite being stuck at home. Yeah, actually, I decided early on that I wanted to make sure that I came out of this not having sat on my ass the whole time. Didn't Absolutely. Is it Has it been really strange for you to be at home for this long? Yeah, it has. Like your whole adult good. life. Yeah, I've been doing this my whole, yeah, since I was 20. So it's, I'm probably not the kind of guy who would have, who would have voluntarily taken a year off, but it's kind of good because it's like, it's almost like, uh, you know, mandatory, what do you call it, professional development sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what uh... I've been doing? You know what I've been doing a lot? Of, I've been playing a lot of electric guitar, right? Because I've been fighting with, acoustic tone live forever yeah right yeah because it's like theater shows when i can put a little mic on it's a different story but when you play with a band you're really not playing acoustic guitar anymore or so you plug it in right right 
you know so it's like i've been trying to dial in my electric tone and maybe use electric live because just doesn't i have a hard time being happy with the tone i've got the acoustic tone about as good as i can get it if i pick up but it just doesn't it bugs me sometimes and it's like i'm so i'm I've using I'm using the magnetic sound hole pickup, so it's basically a single coil electric pickup anyway. So I've been working on playing with a Strata Tele, like just trying to because it just I don't know. anyway. The electric guitar I, like scares my, the hell out of me, man. Yeah, well, <laughs> me too. Like I when I started as a kid, I was playing Black Sabbath shit with a, with a Les Paul, and and then when the Smalls started, I was playing bass in that band. So really, since I was in my early early 20s i have my like i've never really made peace with with like with like country electric tone like my my only the only tone i I can get around pretty well on like heavy stuff like i'm pretty comfortable with that tone but i've never really done the research and gone down the tone rabbit holes to figure out a country tone but i'm pretty close now me neither and and like you're at the mercy sometimes of of a house sound guy with you know or like shitty monitors it's tough to be satisfied with an acoustic guitar tone on stage yeah like it sucks because yeah you're totally right you can't you can't like even adjust your own levels really yeah yeah or you you can't tune there's no bass knob or whatever are we are we recording? Yeah, we'll just roll into it. I was okay. just getting a few levels there, but we might as well just yeah. roll into it. I was going to say yeah, that... Yeah, you, uh, you, you can use any of that shit if you want. <laughs> yeah, sure, man. I appreciate you taking the time here too, by the way. And uh, I, I saw you guys, shit, like five or six shows in 2019. And then I haven't seen you since then. I guess last time I saw you was in Cadillac. But I wanted to say you... Uh, You've been doing all this stuff. You've been keeping busy, but you released uh, two deluxe editions of a of a couple of the albums this year too. Yeah, just kind of yeah, like, did, were you planning on doing that kind of thing, or was it like, you know, these are just kind of laying around and we'll get them out while they're kind of laying around? Yeah, yeah. Like we, I realized that. I mean, we started looking for content during COVID, and I realized that we had a bunch of stuff from Cabin Fever that hadn't been widely widely released. A couple tracks as well as the whole album we did acoustically just for fun kind of bored we had an extra day so we had and then and then yeah for, for agricultural tragic it was kind of fucked because we it's kind of <laughs> sorry edit that it was kind of weird because we, we um had it all ready to teed up and then covid really bit us in the butt because it it came at the exact wrong time right Cause, yeah and you guys pushed I mean, the release it, back too right yeah yeah it would have it's funny because if it would have happened during a writing period it wouldn't hardly change anything but as it stands, it had been like three years since we had a new record and we had, you know, new t-shirts printed and, you know, van all tuned up and the new kick drum head all figured out. We had five months of touring planned and then we got like a week into it in Colorado and we had to come home. Yeah, that was that must have been pretty pretty scary. Yeah, it was weird because we had, like say, we had a big Canadian tour. And, but it's been okay because like I said, I've been spending the time being creative and kind of cool. But yeah, like so so we had we had a couple extra tunes on that record there's three or four actually that we hadn't released because we just wrote so much for the last record i really dig the acoustic versions man of cabin fever yeah like the cows around it's like you're really going for it in a different way it just sounds like you guys are hanging out <laughs> and playing it's it turned out really good and i think that the fans really like that kind of stuff too yeah you know i'm gonna make my next record like that i think i think i'm gonna make the next record all acoustic really like yeah i think so and live like and no um like not acoustic, like you know, sensitive lovey-dovey acoustic necessarily, but like Train to Come and Marty Robbins, 
Guns N' Roses Live acoustic. I think it's great, and you're lucky that, I mean, you guys have been together for so long. It's kind of a rarity. You've had the same guys for that long that even if you're not recording live off the floor, you really get the the energy and the feel of a live band. And I wanted to ask you how much of the of Agricultural Tragic was recorded live off the floor, I guess, except for Harry's stuff that he flew in. A lot of it was, yeah. Is is that something that matters to you that you want to do all yeah. the time? Yeah. Yes. Yep. The the longer the, the longer I do this, the more the more I'm into like dents and scratches and warts and stuff. Well, absolutely. It's like uh, I've heard Bob Dylan say stuff like uh, that might not be the best that I could do, but it was the best I could do that day. And you know, it doesn't yeah. it can doesn't have to be the same the next time we do it. And you're 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 capturing a performance, I guess. And but I mean, you know, you guys have been together so long. It's uh, it's really, I guess, a part of it. Were the records that you made with Harry like that too? The live like live off the floor? Um, to an extent, but I feel like as the years go by, we get more comfortable with it more. And it's like I, I'm a little better at, at letting things go now because. You know, you get in there, it's, it's easy to try and overthink everything, but, but I have to remind myself that I, when I listen to records, I love it when somebody, you know, misses a lyric or has a clam or restarts. So I like, I really dig that kind of stuff on records. Like a really noticeable so bass mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of cool. I like that shit. It's, it's real. Like, yeah. So the, long, the longer this goes, the more I strive for poor dudes in a room agricultural tragic before it becomes the the name of your album it's first used as a term for the subgenre of country music that you make uh can you tell me what agricultural tragic means to you where this name came from yeah well it's kind of it was kind of a joke but yeah i was for years people asked me what kind of music i make right mm-hmm. and you know how it is if i say country then i have to qualify it so people don't confuse me with like, toby keith or whatever so it's like yeah, it's a, and and my particular stripe of like, there's a lot of rural content in it, as you know, like a lot of a lot of you know Western stuff and horse songs and stuff like that. So yeah, agricultural tragic is just sort of like it's kind of a play on that uh, that painting, American Gothic, mm-hmm. you know. But it's like that's kind of it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of real. Like I, I have a lot of rural ag stuff in my tunes, and it's. There's a lot of uh, human frailty mixed into the tunes too, so, so yeah, it kind of it's kind of a joke, but it kind of is real. It's good. I it's also have unique a, unto your own. Livestock rock is another one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that one too. Livestock rock. <laughs> That's my next record, I guess. When did you uh, when did you write the songs for this? Because I guess you guys re- would have recorded the record in 2019 in the fall, maybe. Yeah, it'd be, we we had about a four year stretch with no no. Um, album so i think it was i don't know some of them were quite old like by the time i got around to cutting them horsepower i've been playing that for years that duet yeah i mean i'd seen you play like almost the entire record live but before you guys recorded it like you did those three nights at the times changed kind of trying to tune tune them up i guess and yeah and that was really cool yeah those are specifically those shows are booked specifically to Style in the yeah, but how much, uh, like, how much tweaking on the original sort of idea and demo of yours are done on the final arrangements when you bring them to the band? Sometimes quite a bit, sometimes not very much. It really varies, yeah. Like, like the guys are, I'm, I have a fantastic band, as you know. Like, mm-hmm. guys are really, really versatile and really good, and 
Yeah, it's funny. Usually, usually I'll bring some in, and, and I'd say half the time they just know what to do. And it's pretty obvious, right? But then other times they'll they'll surprise me and take it a different way. And sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. But sometimes it's a really happy surprise. Other times I'll have one that I'm just stumped on. I'm like, I got this thing, but I don't know what to do with it. And then we'll bat it around the room and sometimes come up with something. But they're always good for. It's really satisfying to see it. I, I try to get the tunes to the point where I can play them for people on acoustic and they're, they're good, solid, complete tunes. But but it's nice when, it's really a magical thing when the guys put their pixie dust on it and, and just take it to another another place. It's for, and, and another cool stage. It's funny because I think I'm a, I might be more of a band-oriented guy than some people because I was in a rock band for 10 or 12 years before this as a bass player. And arrangements are really, really, really important to me. I think arrangement is one of the most key and sometimes neglected elements of songs on records. Like, there's just so much you can do. Like, the, you know, what what drum beat are you using? What guitar tone are you using? Are you, are you doing it half time or double time or speed up, slow down, change the key? Like, all those things, all those things are, and you know, just like interesting twists and turns in the in the, the structural arrangement, stuff like that. It's really important to me. So you uh, you guys brought John Evans up to Vancouver when you guys were making Agricultural Tragic? Yeah, we did. What's yeah. what's Evans' role like when he's in the studio with you guys? Like, it's Is it a traditional producer thing where he's kind of telling you what to do or giving you pointers, or is he uh, like uh, emotional support? He's like, some of both. Like, he's like, uh, he's just got such a vibe that, well, first of all, we're old, old buddy so that that helps it's super comfortable but but like he's just got a vibe like he i always say he, he keeps one foot in the gutter like or makes me he makes me he makes me keep one foot in the gutter because because like he, he reminds me to keep it stinky you know what i mean like he brings out the livestock rock yeah yeah he brings out the <laughs> yeah the dirty rockabilly kind of vibes so just that nice to have that sort of trustworthy set of ears around i guess eh? yeah he's he's really good with arrangement stuff too like he's it's good just to have a it's good it's good um i bounce stuff off the guys all the time it's good to have an outside party kind of sometimes to come in and listen to it that hasn't been you know banging on the same songs for six months you know he comes in and hears them and thinks oh that should be better different key or why don't you guys try to just drum beat or some you know get knocks us out of our routines a little bit but typically you're like a pr- pretty hands-on with with details and stuff and in, in the studio uh working with the producer are you, are you pretty hands-on with that too yeah yeah like grant and i have toyed with the idea of producing self-producing with an engineer i'm sure we could do it but i like i like what another voice brings to the mix just to change things up sometimes because after after this many i'm really it's really important to me to keep to keep fresh and keep evolving and make interesting stuff and not stagnate so sometimes another voice is is helpful for that like i the new record the acoustic thing is interesting because i've been spending a ton of time on my rhythm guitar playing so i think a lot of stuff i'm writing now is is driven by guitar rhythmic acoustic stuff so so yeah when we cut this new record it's still a long ways off but when we cut this one i think it'll be it'll be more driven by acoustic rhythm than than like a drum beat right yeah that's cool i've seen a video of you guys there's a video of you guys in montana in a field playing uh playing all acoustically you know the one i'm talking about yeah 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 yeah, yeah right, that's, that's kind of a cool vibe for you guys 
in the field there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I guess on the other side of the coin from John Evans would be a guy like Harry Stinson, who's, you know, probably, you know, probably a little bit older and he's got a, a wealth of experience. How did you first come into contact and begin working with Harry? Well, he was the first, um, serious out of town producer we had because the first two records i made i kind of made them on my own with a couple of buddies in edmonton but when i made um uh five dollar bill my manager at the time knew him from the folk festival with the band he was playing in the time the dead reckoners and so she just he just came in in the afternoon for fun just to check out a tune or two when he was playing at folk fest in edmonton and it clicked and it was really cool and so we did like four or five albums with him and then we did one with Evans, and then we did one with Dave Cobb, and then and then I brought for the new one. So I, like Harry couldn't come up in person; he was too busy. But he was he was listening to, to stuff every day, and he was co-producing it from from, from a remotely. So I, I wanted to combine like Harry's got like a super deep country music vocabulary, right? Mm-hmm. And and awesome background vocals, and really he's got his own really cool arrangement sense. So I wanted I wanted to combine that with Evans's kind of like wild and crazy shit, and then see what see what happened. It was tricky because there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen, but it worked out really good. Cause like Harry and John were both helping, and like John was up in person, and Harry was pitching in from the sidelines from Nashville. And then me and me and the guys, Grant especially, have a lot of ideas, and and the, even the uh, engineer had, he was really good too. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of creative people in one place. Sometimes it bogs down a little bit, but it was worth it. You made it out in Vancouver. Yeah. You guys, I mean, I guess you've made, you haven't gone to, uh, back to the same studio the last, I mean, what, four or five different albums. You've kind of been going to different places. Is that something that's conscious for you? You want to go to a new environment to work? No, it's not really conscious. It just kind of works out that way. I don't, I don't really care that much. Like I just like, I don't, I don't know. I I don't really. I've never done a lot of work in like really nice studios. Like they kind of freak me out. I like funky, dirty, weird joints. Yeah. So, like, yeah. And, and these days, like, I don't know. I don't know what it'll, what we'll do. But if we do this acoustic, I might do it at my house or at the ranch or something. Because I mean, there's enough gear out there now. Mobile gear, it's easy, right? Yeah. You guys made Cabin Fever up at your place too, right? Uh, no, that was in Edmonton. Yeah, at, at my friend Scott Franchuk's studio in Edmonton. I, I was just going to say, I feel like the gear is so abundant these days and it's so mobile that it's more about just finding a cool place with good people that you like. And yeah, Franny's amazing it. too. Yeah, he's great. So at the at the end of it, like, you know, you, you put put the record out. It's Now it's had some time to breathe and, uh, you know, find its place among your other records. Do you feel like Agricultural Tragic is unique in its sound or vibe compared to your others? Yeah. Yeah, it is. We, I tried to make the sound bigger. Like, I wanted to make it, but still really, like, raw and organic and, and stripped down, but, but bigger. Like ACBC does that really well, right? They don't have a ton. Of, they don't have a ton of tracks, but but it's big, and so I think we kind of achieved that. And that it's kind of a rocking rocking album. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's yeah, I'm really happy with that one. It's weird because we haven't toured it at all, really. So it's like I was kind of like grieving about it for a while, but now I'm sort of thinking that like this whole last year has been so crazy that I think everybody's going to remember this year. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's going to be like the Cuban Missile Crisis or World War Two or something. Like, 
like because we all went through it together the whole world and it's like i think i've had a bunch of people say oh thank god we had some new music or whatever and i'm starting to think that in the long run like down the road it might actually live in people's hearts that way oh man like it was there was a ton of great work that came out last year yeah yeah so i i think that'll be okay like it doesn't it would have been nice to tour it and sell the t-shirts and all that shit. But, but I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of, you know, my artistic output over my lifetime, I, I think it'll hold a unique place. I wrote about it in the honky tonk times article. I said that, you know, it's a really nice blend of country and Western music and stories. And your songwriting is always a, a real consistent bright spot. But I also wanted to talk about the band because they are, like you said, they are such a pleasure to watch and, and listen to. Uh, I said that, um, Corblund and the Hurt and Albertans are not a country band in the traditional sense of the term, but uh, the the record will reinforce to anyone who may have forgotten that you guys are truly like the tightest band uh, in the land. And it is a rarity in the circles that you guys run in, I guess, especially in a place like Texas with the beefed up bands that you're a four piece. Um, I guess you've always kind of rolled like that. Uh, well, I guess the trio before Grant, but have you ever been encouraged uh, or considered beefing up the band beyond the four of you? I've thought about it, but I, <laughs> I mostly lean toward sparsity. Like even 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 in our group, I sometimes am trying to find ways to find more space. Yeah. And so, like, I don't think another person would be. I don't. I like if I did have somebody, it would be somebody who hit like this. Is my my wish list. It'd be somebody who plays fiddle, pian- piano, and is a killer backup singer. And he drives himself to the gig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he and he sleeps in a crate. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, but, not, not to suggest that I mean, you I'm need already, to. I, what's that? I said not to suggest that you, you need to beef, beef yeah. up the band. I just always kind of wondered about that, like you know, especially rolling with those you know five six piece bands like all the time down there. I would imagine. Yeah, I don't know. Like a lot of that time, a lot of the time, it sounds like too much to me. Like because if you got a steel player, he's playing steel all the time, right? If you got a fiddle player, he's playing fiddle all the time. I'd rather have. Like I really love what Grant does. I think it, I think it brings a real, like it's like a stew. Because like, okay, we'll do a couple of songs in the field, then he'll jump to the mandolin, then he'll play Kelly and baritone, and it mixes it up, right? Yeah, he's got a ton of stuff on stage with you. It's it's pretty crazy to see his loading load in. Yeah, yeah, he works pretty hard. He covers but, a lot of space it, as one guy on a guitar, though. Yeah, he does. Like and without overplaying. Like, I, I'd rather have that than have like a permanent steel player and a permanent, you know, mandolin player. Like I, I, I like the sparsity of it. I, I, I almost like, like I'm looking forward to the acoustic record for that reason. So yeah, I just like, um, some of those bands with, I mean, whatever, everybody does their thing, but some of those bands with like seven pieces, it's just like, I don't know what the point is. Just like a wall of sound. I mean, I'm not really into walls of sounds. I'm into like, I, I read a lot of words per square inch, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's important to me. And I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not a great guitar player and I'm not a great singer, but I think I'm a pretty decent songwriter, and I, that's my strength. And I, I feel like, well, I know because people tell me like they, they actually care about the lyrics. And and in some music, it doesn't matter so much. It's, it's a different style thing, but but it's important for me. I work pretty hard with my sound man to make sure that the words do get out to people as best they can because I, and when you start getting huge bands, it's, it's tougher to, to make space for the lyrics. 
Hi there again, folks. We're at the midway point of the episode. You're listening to the Northern Report Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Burns, today speaking with Cor Blund. Thanks for tuning in. I'll remind you to subscribe to the Northern Report on Apple Podcasts, follow along on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's an incredible feat to have kept the consistent band and sound over all these years, and that says something about Corb as a band leader and boss. I've always admired his dedication to building his name and following in the United States, and I was eager to politely interrogate him about his plans and history south of the border. So, um, I, I guess you guys do spend a lot of time uh, touring outside of Canada, and I always feel like you know, most artists or musicians or comedians or whatever the artistic discipline is, the, the goal is to sort of, you know, make it in the United States, uh, you know, to, to, to have some sort of level of uh, you know, consistent earning or fan base down there. And I really admire how you've always taken the band out of Canada and had the strong focus on the United States. Like, how long were you guys touring up here before you went down there? Mm. We started... Like the, the first tour Grant did with us, I think, was a big, long two-month American tour. So we've been going down for a long time. You had already kind of established sort of a, some fans and some, uh, like a circuit some, down there. But even when Grant was with us the first time, it took quite a while to really... We spent some lean years in the States, even with Grant. Like the last six or eight or so have been really great, though. It's really taken off. It's, it's like, it's kind of cool because we can go... I don't know. We're sort of a fringe band, but up here, but you know, you see the Junos or whatever, and there's such a there's a huge Toronto centric thing going on in, in Canadian Canadian music in the business. I feel. Yep. And it's like, I don't know, which of those bands can cross the border and draw anywhere from 300 to 2,000 people? Like, I, that's it's just like I don't care anymore about that stuff. Like. People that like me in Canada like me, and if they don't, well, whatever. But it's like we can go to Wyoming and play for tons of people. We can we can we can go almost anywhere in the Western U.S. and draw hundreds of people. So to me, that's a that's an accomplishment, and it's been done sheerly from like blood, sweat, and tears. You know, like the hard, the hard way. <laughs> yeah, Grant told me he said it was you know it was the same, it was no different than starting out anywhere. It's like you guys were kind of playing smaller rooms, and then the last few times he went down, every time I talked to him, he's like, "We're playing these you know big rooms, and they're full. Like we haven't been here in years or ever, and there's a lot of people here to see us. So like that's yeah, and that's like direct attributed to the amount of work you guys have put in. Like you uh, at a band you know that sells the amount of records and stuff in Canada, like you still seem to tour harder than everyone else. Well, the thing is, is some people, I think, I get the sense that some people don't want to take the ego hit of, you know, getting out of the bus and climbing into the van and playing for 200 instead of 2,000 across the border. But I honestly love it. I fucking love it. It's like, I prefer, I prefer it, actually. Like, it's a funny thing, but like, you know, playing for thousands of people is better for your career and your pocketbook. And obviously there's, and it's fun. It's its own animal. But Man, you know, you probably know this too. You're a honky tonker. Like the the best the best way to play music is for like, you know, for like 400 people in the 300 seat bar. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It doesn't get any better than that. That's just the best way to see. Uh, campfire is good too, but but it's like that's the best way to see a band like us. I think is like 300 people, whatever. And so 
in terms of just the sheer visceral joy of it, I love playing some bar in Idaho, man. It's the best. Yeah, you guys do do, do some like big sort of three to five hundred seat clubs down there, I, I guess. And I I think that some of your Canadian fans would be shocked at even some of the smaller rooms that you play down there, because you do fill a lot of seats, you know, uh, in Canada. Yeah, it's it. The funny thing is, though, I I don't like have any kind of hang-ups hang about it. I, I, I think maybe some people do, but I, I don't really, the whole thing, I, I look at the whole thing as, as one big thing. Like, I don't I don't think, oh, this is going to suck because we're playing for 20% of the people we just played for in Alberta. Like, I don't look at it that way. I just think of, this is a different situation. How do we win here? Right. I, I guess as a result of this of the success in Canada, it limits the amount of places and the amount of times you can play a place. Um, do you miss playing those smaller clubs in Canada ever? Yeah, I do kind of. And we do some we, once in a while, you know, if it's a special occasion or like we did the thing at John's place. That was awesome, by the way, man. I was, I, I was, I was yeah. the lucky, I had the side, the side, side stage view for three nights. <laughs> but yeah, like, like, um, yeah, I kind of miss that. Yeah. Like that, that's why I think, I, I think I have the best of both worlds. Cause like, you know, if we got to the level of the States that we are here, that would be amazing. Right. Cause it'd be, we'd be in a bus and we'd be rich. Cause <laughs> <laughs> there's like 35 times. There's just so many more times. It's just the, the scale is so much bigger. Right. Oh yeah. Way more places but, to play. But in a sense, I kind of like it cause I get the best of both worlds. Cause I can, you know, do a bus tour in Canada and play big, big rooms. And then, and then hop in the hop in the van and go down and dirty with the guys, just us and one one crew and in a van and kick ass all over the states. I love it. Are there places, smaller places like the times changed in Canada that you used to frequent that you, you kind of wish you could go back to? Yeah, I think. Uh, well, in Edmonton, there's a bunch of rooms. I the Black Dog is always awesome. Yeah, and and uh, there's a room there. It's, it's about we sometimes we play there we'll do multiple nights there, but the star the starlight room in Edmonton's great. And I still like there's a place in I think it's gone now, but the railway club in Vancouver. Yeah, I think they changed it around a bit and trying to opened again and closed. I don't know, but that that would you guys used to play there too? Yeah, a lot. I like that place. That must have been rowdy. You got some you got some good pals out there, hey? Yeah, yeah. I lived out there for a while in the old days. The rock oh. band, so. Yeah, I met uh I met some guys at Lana Luz in Vancouver when Grant and I were there a few years ago. I don't remember their names. And, uh, and the guy, uh, we kind of talked about Horse, Horse Soldier, how, you know, because the, the previous record, Hair in My Eyes, you win the album of the year from the CCMAs, the Canadian Country Music Association. And instead of uh, coming back and trying to do the same album again, you, you come, come back with Horse Soldier, which is fantastic. One of my favorites uh, of yours. And so, and so ends my brief romance with Country Radio. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of where I was going. I was going to say, like, um, I guess that never c- comes into into your mind. Like, you know, do do you feel any pressure to deliver songs or singles for country radio? Or are you just going to be yourself uh, all the time? No, I I can't even. I, well, frankly, it was a huge surprise that Hair and My Eyes got on the radio. Like, it's totally, it was a total time, like a planet aligning thing. Because even now, I mean, it doesn't sound anything like stuff that was, up against at the time i'm still surprised they like we actually won the ccma album album of the year with that thing yeah it's amazing it's amazing to me still but i i don't think that was i i don't think that would have been sustainable 
Like, I just don't think, for one thing, I have no idea how I would, I, I would, I would be totally, like, if I tried to write for radio, I don't even know what that would look like. <laughs> so I just do my thing. Yeah, it was like a, it's like a talk, talking blues song is, is, is a, a hit single and hit and you're on CMT yeah. and stuff and kind of at a, at a interesting time at the crossroads of pop country. Like you said, it was, it was different then than it is now, but you guys were still sort of standing out, but you got, you would have got the play on, you know, contemporary commercial country radio. Are, are they still playing any of your music at all? Some of the, some of the more regional stations do, but as the years go by, it gets more and more consolidated. I think, you know, from the head offices. Yeah. Like that. I don't think they have a lot of leeway at the big stations in the city anymore to play what they want. Anyhow. Yeah. Then your hands are pretty tied. I think with the, with that kind of thing. And like, you know, I, I really dig doing the show uh, and not having to, you know, follow those kinds of rules. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, my, my thing is like, I, I don't know. All of my heroes had like sort of country radio um, periods of time when it was when they were in and then other times when they weren't like Willie and Waylon and even Merle, right? Like, yeah, like all those guys had they had ups and downs with the radio. Like Willie's kind of I mean, he was the king in the 70s and early 80s, I guess, or whenever it was. And then he's popped back on a couple of times here and there. But it's like. I don't know. I've always just looked at the radio as this kind of a, you know, if it happens, it happens, but it's just, it's just part of the big mix. I, I care about, I care about being in the room and singing to people. That's what I care about. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, uh, that would have even been before the days of like widespread satellite radio, which is probably a place where you get a lot of love. Yeah. Outlaw is really good to us. Yeah. Say. That's good, man. That's really good. Cause I mean, that probably helps put people in the seats too. And you're kind of going to smaller places. Are there places in the United States that like, it hasn't really popped off yet for you that you, you really kind of focused on building? Well, the last few years we've had, it's been really amazing. We hardly ever had a show where, you know, we, we went years where, you know, it'd be like 10 people here or 20 people there, but it's been years since we've had a show where, where it's like dead. So, even even parts of the U.S. where we heard it ever go, there's, you know, you get 100 people at least, enough to play to, right? But it's it depends widely on region. Like, our best uh, areas are the American West, like Wyoming, Montana, and then all, all the way down to Oklahoma, Texas. Texas, Texas really embraced us because they have their own team down there, right? Oh, yeah. And a bunch of my friends are in bands, and they sort of adopted us into that world. So Texas and Oklahoma have been good to us. But like, yeah, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, close to home, Colorado, those are, those are great. I was just going to say the last few years we've expanded and done more work in Arizona, New Mexico, and Northern California, all the ranchy places, right? I've uh, I've noticed the uh, the like uh, third base coach uh, signs from the side of the stage that you flash to the band. I don't know if I'm uh, if, if if this is something that's a secret, but there's no there's no set list. You're just kind of giving them the uh, signals as to what's coming next. Has that always been the case? Um, yeah, we haven't used a set list for many years. We have like so much material that like right now, after a year off, we could probably play half our stuff without much. And like, if we've been on the road for a couple months and they've been, I'd get bored and deliberately dig into the back catalog. We get to the point where, where we can probably play, I don't know, 75, 80% of our stuff. That's so impressive. It, yeah. So with eight or nine or 10 records, it's like playing the same 15 songs and it would put us all to sleep so we uh 
we, yeah, I just call audibles only. And so therefore, if it's one that I start, I just start it. But if it's one that the drummer has to count in or something, Brady has counted in, then I give those guys a signal. And then it looks like we have a set list because we just seamlessly go into the next tune. <laughs> do, you, do you ever talk about it before the show? Like, I want to do this one tonight or anything like that? Uh, a little bit. Not, you, well, you tell the guys which the first couple tunes are going to be, and then we go, we just kind of go off into the wild blue yonder from there. But, like, I also have a subset of hand signals for Grant and Kurt, because, especially Grant, because mm-hmm. I have to tell him which instrument he's going to first. Oh, yeah, okay. So I have a, I tell him what instrument, and then I tell the band what song. And now Kurt's been playing electric lately too. So I got I got I got to tell I got to tell Kurt and Grant what they're playing, and then I got to tell them the tune. So Grant's Grant's still the new guy, even though he's been there for probably fifteen years. At least, yeah. How'd you guys find him? Um, my ex girlfriend Debbie, who who was sort of my manager in the early days, saw him playing with. Um, with uh, Nolan, I think. Oh, cool. I'm coming through town in Edmonton and said, hey, I think I might have found a guitar player for you. It's, yeah. so, <laughs> and that was it. Worked out pretty good. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. Um, uh, in, in between records, sort of, I guess, uh, I think it was 2019 as well, you guys put out the, the covers EP. Yeah. And uh, and you had Ian Tyson singing with you on the ACDC song, which I thought was pretty pretty <laughs> nice little thing. Um. I mean, obviously, Ian is is uh, as big as it gets as far as legends and Canadian country music goes. Do you do you remember hearing his songs like when you were growing up? Was he someone you always looked up to? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't as aware of him until until I was like when I was in my metal stage. Not so much. I mean, I'd always heard the, the classics, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I got once I started writing Western songs. You know, I started really digging into this stuff deeply where'd you meet him i met him at a show um years ago i was on a ian tyson tribute show it was like um like uh, a bunch of us doing his tunes and he showed up to the calgary calgary episode and came and met us and i was i was kind of nervous but he told me he liked my five dollar bill song so i was happy with that that's awesome and you guys still still to this day are uh, are close pals yeah yeah I've been able to visit him as much because of COVID and everything, but I talk to him pretty regularly. I mean, your your love of uh, of Ian Tyson and Marty Robbins, and then you know Black Sabbath and ACDC is well documented. And I recall you and I once talking about uh, Jim Reeves. Even uh, is there any music that people might be surprised to learn that that you're a fan of? Oh, probably. I mean, I like I like Norwegian. Church burning black metal quite a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Still got the metal like, in you. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like entombed a lot lately. I've been the band called Witchery that we met in years ago. That's really good. And I, uh, I don't know. I like um, I like the Pogues a lot. And there's this band. There's this band from the from the uh, the sixties. This Irish band that I like I like a lot. There's they sing all these traditional Irish tunes. That's fun stuff, man. Yeah, and I like I like the Eagles a lot. Maybe that's not a surprise that I'm a big Eagles fan. And I like I like uh, um, been in, in pretty big Woody Guthrie stage lately. Are there some current artists that you've been listening to, or like new ones that you've discovered that you like? Um, you know what's weird? There's this band they play on country radio that that's the the best band I've heard from a, for a long time. It's they're called Midland. 
Oh, yeah. I actually kind of dig them. I don't know who's writing the songs, if it's them or somebody else. And people say they're kind of a radio, a record company creation, but I don't, I don't really care. I, I like the music. Like, it sounds like a combination of Dwight Yoakam and the Eagles and George Strait uh, to me. So I like those guys. And I like, uh, well, bands in the States that are friends of mine, like Turnpike Jubilers are one of my favorite bands. And they're, I mean, they're not a new band, but they're, so uh so just just circle back real quick to like to to country music even though you know we've kind of established that you guys transcend the the term country music like uh is it important for you to preserve the sort of traditions and the sounds in the country and western sound of music no not really i i i don't i i I use them because i like them but i don't i'm not one of those kind of you know bow down at the altar of country music people. I I just kind of strip mine all that stuff for, for sounds that I like. I, I'm not really that into like like uh, freeze-drying stuff from the past and, and making it into museum pieces. Some people do that, and it's cool. I, I dig that, too. I'm glad there's people doing that, but for myself, I just, I just kind of grab shit I like and put it in the stew pot. Is there a uh... Anything else like uh, outside outside of the music thing that you'd like to talk about that you're doing these days? Uh, I've been I've been digging pretty deep into uh, guitar repair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm I'm trying different pickups and different electronics and stuff. So I'm, yeah, I got got my head around that, and I've got um, spent a lot of time trying to keep the coal mines out of the Rocky Mountains the last few months up here. Yeah, you've really been um, you've really been doing the research and and lending your voice to that, hey? Yeah, and I don't do a lot of that because I don't know. I usually like to leave it in the music, but but uh, this is the biggest biggest threat to the most people here I've ever seen. Like it could mess up the drinking water for millions of Albertans. So it's and it's like a bad deal. Like we're not getting any money out of it, and I don't even understand why we're doing it. Like, I think it's well. I don't know. Somebody's probably getting paid. I guess that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Or else, or else they're just too stubborn. But I think they misjudged Albertans' feelings about the Rockies and how important that is to to our identity, and and not just like everybody, like city people, rural people, First Nations people, you know, left wing people, conservative people. It's it's like everybody's pissed off about this. So and they did it real quiet. They just they got rid of the old coal policy on a Friday afternoon, long weekend in May last year or something. And they, and they, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been kind of like sneaky and dishonest the whole, the whole time. And I don't care about political parties. I don't, I could give a shit about who's, I don't really like any of them for different reasons, but I'd say the same thing, no matter who is doing this, it's just, this is ridiculous and it's outrageous and terrible. So. Well, it looks yeah, like you, you got I, a lot of support. It, yeah, it's coming, but the government's, they keep, they're, they're they're good at this. They they keep pretending that they fixed it, but so that everyone thinks it's fixed, but they're not really fixing it. They're just like pretending to fix it. So it's a long. It's going to be a long fight. Taking up a a lot of a lot of space in your brain and a lot of time in your day. Kind of is, yeah. Like I don't really want to be educated about the coal business, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, kudos to you, man. I think that's uh, that's really great, and I think it means a lot to a lot of people that look up to you that you're willing to speak out against that kind of thing, you know? 
Yeah, it's an important one. And I've had a little bit of pushback, but not too much. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, it's, that's the funny thing about it. Not that many people are in favor of it. The government just keeps plowing forward with it anyway. If they're not careful, it might get them unelected, I think. But it's like, it's like, um, yeah, it's not one of those issues that's 50 50. It's pretty, it's pretty, um, there's a few people that are into the coal idea, but really, really not very many. So it's not a huge risk to me or anything, but. But yeah, there's pushback, and it's kind of been it's kind of been good for me because I, I don't know I'm not I've always had pretty good reviews on my music, and I don't know I'm I'm well liked here, you know. And it's like I'm not used to getting I'm not used to getting blasted on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of good. It's, it's, my skin is thicker now. It's like it's good not to be like Mr. Golden Boy all your life. Well, like I said, man, like uh, it's 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 commend you for that, and uh, I think people <laughs> people really appreciate that. Yeah, it's important. I think it's important. There's a lot of there's a lot of good people working behind the scenes. It's funny because like one of the things I hear from the Facebook trolls is like if you don't if you don't if you're not an environmental specialist, then shut up and play guitar, right? Which I kind of understand that actually because I'm not I don't know I'm awfully skeptical. A lot of the time when celebrities are speaking off about stuff, sometimes it's totally legit. Sometimes it seems like it's about them. And sometimes it seems like they really haven't learned what they're talking about. But it's like the irony in this situation is when somebody says to me, you know, unless you're an environmental scientist, shut up. It's like, well, I'm actually working with environmental scientists and policymakers and toxicologists and conservationists that have been screaming about this for years and no one will fucking listen to them, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just acting as a bullhorn for these people. Well, right on, man. Yeah. Well, hopefully we uh, keep them out of there. Once they once once they get in, they won't get out. That's the problem. They'll mess up the whole Rockies forever. Yeah, and that's heartbreaking to to think about that. Well, it's funny because all you have to do is look across the border into the Elk Valley in BC because it's the same coal seam even, and like the water's screwed up and the fish are all gone and. The, some of the towns have totally have had their water supply poisoned. They've had to truck in water. It's brutal. It's really bad. So we just don't want that here. No. Well, hopefully, hopefully it trends in the right direction. Um, any plans yeah. like uh, musically? You said you had a few things up your sleeve. Anything you're willing to uh, to divulge? Um, yeah, I'm working on the next thing we're gonna do is make it. We're making a record called "Songs My Friends Wrote." Oh, cool! And it's all, it's all songs my friends wrote. So it's like Ian and Hayes and Jeff Burner and Mike Plume, all my buddies. Oh man, my that's favorite great. Teams, all my friends. Yeah. I guess it's Jones hard to plan, uh, you know, with with COVID and stuff. But is there any loose plans as to when you guys will do that? Well, we might, we might. I think we're going to cut the stuff and then maybe, and then maybe release singles on a on a schedule kind of thing, and then put it all together at the end. I think that's the idea. And I'm working on some uh, stripped down, smoky uh, Christmas songs. Oh wow! None of the Jesus ones, just the ones, <laughs> just. <laughs> Just the non-religious ones. Like uh, I've always liked uh, "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas," kind of sad. And I like I've always liked "Silver Bell." And in in the wider view, I'm working on a new record. It'll be a while for that, but I'm in the middle of in the stage where I'm just mucking around trying to figure it out. I'm sure you guys will will spend a good chunk of when you get back out on the road, you know, hammering the agricultural tragic material. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably will. Like, you know, you didn't get to tour it in the traditional sense, but I think it you know, people will still be pumped to hear it live. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I think the first our first big tour after this will be pretty pretty fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess you guys still have Canada to do yet. Yeah, we haven't done a Canadian tour in a number of years now. Those must be really like fun. Prop. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're almost so, at least for, for, for me, like in my experience, they're almost so, they're so big that, not that they're that big for some people, but for me they're big. And, and it's just like, it's almost out of control. Like it's so, it's just so much to do. Like there's press and there's interviews and there's, pre-show stuff and it's, it's just a big it's a big operation it's not almost a relief to pop down to Montana and play the bars yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun it's it's fun and satisfying and awesome in its own way it's just a big unwieldy beast well great job on the record and uh, and like I said I wrote about it in the Hockey Talk Times which is this you know brand new sort of a, it's print only publication and I'm the resident yeah. Canadian who's uh, who's got to cover cover the you know the Canadian scene of which is much smaller than our counterparts to the south so yeah I like the uh, the report from up north or whatever the northern report that's right <laughs> yeah man uh, thanks so much for talking to me today yeah good to talk to you buddy take care of yourself see you next time out there yeah you bet Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed my chat with Corb Lund. I got to thank Corby again for taking the time to talk to me. Listen to his albums wherever you stream music for a nominal monthly fee or check him out at CorbLund.com. Follow the Northern Report Spotify playlist to hear music from the artists that I've covered in the Honky Tonk Times column as well as here on the podcast. Subscribe, follow along, like it, and share it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Northern Report logo was created by Boots Graham of Boots and the Hoots, Central Alberta's finest honky tonkers. Music on the show today, courtesy of Sean Burns and Lost Country, The Divorcees, and Skinny Dick. From local legends to regional stars to the cream of the Canadian crop, you'll find it all here on the Northern Report. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll chat later. Hey, pal, what do you got for us? Welcome to my world. Won't you come on in?